quite the pleasure to have you with us here this evening. Can you believe we're already on episode 8? I feel like this season just began and we're already nearly halfway there. Well, before we get started this evening, I want to quickly thank everybody for their kind words in regards to last week's special episode. You know, as I mentioned in that episode, we worked pretty hard on that project, so all your kind words were warmly accepted. Now, if you haven't caught that episode, I highly, highly recommend you go check it out. And since it was asked several times, the first Mirrored Men special was Season 7, Episode 15, if you'd like to check that out. Now, if you haven't picked up on it yet, you're about to find out that tonight's show is just a little bit different. Well, because of the length of that Mirrored Men special, pretty short on time for this particular episode... So I'm bringing back the popular theme of the grab bag episode. It's still the same show. The only difference here is that I have not yet listened to these calls. My assistant Delaney edited each one of these, and I selected them on name alone. So I'm hearing these for the first time along with you. And we're going to do all this in a little more laid-back fashion. So to kick things off, we head to the land of Lincoln. Ray Trucker, by the name of Vince, is waiting with a tail. Hey, Derek, this is Vince from Illinois. Called in a couple times before. Just wanted to report a sighting just now. Don't know what the heck it was, but freaked me out. So my 9 to 5 is driving a tractor trailer overnight. Kind of go a little bit out of the way, sometimes over to Michigan sometimes through Indiana. But anyway, I'm headed to East Moline to one of our hub locations to drop off some trailers and pick some up and head back home. Well, I'm on my way back home right now. And, you know, nature calls. And if you're familiar at all with Chicago to East Moline, it's a straight shot down 88. There's a handful, two, maybe three stop-offs where there's like a gas station and, you know, maybe grab some food or something like that. Like, other than that, there's nothing. It's pitch black, no light, and nobody is traveling between Iowa and Illinois at 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, stopped off, nature called, had to use the bathroom to relieve myself, so I had no other options. Pulled off on the side of the road, threw on my little headlamp that I use so that, you know, as I'm walking around the side of the truck, walk across the grass, stare off the shoulder, I'm not stepping into any weird drop-off or anything like that. So I take care of business. I turn around to start walking back towards my truck when the headlamp catches a couple like little glitches, little glints of light. And I'm like, okay, what was that? So I'm thinking, okay, maybe it's just a business far off in the distance. Uh, no. I turn back and they're super low to the ground. I'm like, okay, a raccoon, a possum, a deer, coyote, you know, whatever. They're going to leave me alone. It's fine. All of a sudden, they start to rise higher than they were. Like, almost as if, you know, if it was a deer, it could have just been, you know, it was eating, you know, grazing on some grass, and it lifted its head. But it just kept going higher and higher and higher. Then I realized that I'm staring at something standing now on two legs. Freaked me out. Started moving towards me. It looked like it had pretty long arms. Couldn't really discern any specific colors or any markings on it. Kind of looked like the head just kind of 
shifted into the shoulders. There was no distinction between a neck and the head and the shoulders. And yeah, it started moving towards me and I nearly peed myself right then and there, even though my bladder was empty. Scared the living crap out of me. And I ran around to the side of my truck, jumped in, and I have never hit that gas pedal so hard in my life. So yeah, I don't know what it was, but I don't know if anybody else has seen anything like that. Again, this is headed technically back from East Moline towards Chicago, along 88. Yeah, thanks for the podcast. Great work. Really appreciate it. All right, take care. Have a good one, and hopefully someone can help me out with this. Thank you, Vince. Now, I assume we're talking about Bigfoot here, right? I mean, a tall, bipedal creature. No neck. It sort of fits the description. Now that's uh, what I call a live call, where a witness had literally just seen whatever it is they're reporting. And I believe that's the first and only time we've ever featured a Bigfoot call as a live call. I like that. And it's also one of the few times that I will happily accept a call from a moving vehicle seems appropriate. Now, it's sort of strange that this activity took place in the state of Illinois, because it's not a state I typically would associate with Bigfoot or Sasquatch, whatever you want to call it. But during Vince's call, I did a little Googling. I wanted to see which states ranked where in regards to Bigfoot sightings. The top 10, starting at 10, Missouri, Michigan, Texas, Oregon, then Illinois, Ohio, Florida, California, and Washington. Now I've linked to the uh, website that I'm getting all this information off of, and the source is the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization. Now Delaney went above and beyond this evening, and she actually looked up the counties that Vince drove through over on the BFRO website. Now, I've linked to each of those pages over there at the show notes. So go take a look if you're interested. Any big thanks, Vince, for sharing that amazing story. Now, if you have a story you think would be perfect for this program, a true story, simply call our hotline at one 888 night That's one 888 N-I-G-H-T And don't forget, if you have a bad cell phone connection or you live overseas or something, you can always record your story in a voice memo on your phone and email it to me at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com Now, this next entry comes to us from the top of that Bigfoot list. Please welcome Kaylee from Washington. Hello, my name is Kaylee. I'm calling from Seattle, Washington. I suppose I am a new subscriber to this type of podcast. I was referred to by a friend, actually, and have been binging every episode I possibly can since earlier this afternoon. And within the first episode, I realized that I had a lot of stories and content for you guys. So I look forward to hearing more and also sharing some of my experiences. Something that I want to share with y'all today is probably the most relatable out of all of them. The story takes place in Minneapolis, Minnesota in 2013, around 9 p.m. on a early summer evening. And it is a UFO sighting. So basically at the time I was dating this guy and we decided, spur of the moment, you know, we were two college kids, kind of bored, looking for something to do to pass the time until the evening came and we needed to go to bed or whatever. So we went to a walk to this local park. Some of you might recognize it. It's Gold Medal Park. It has this big hill that you can walk up to with this big curvy sidewalk. It's actually really aesthetically pleasing. So we walk up this hill and just kind of sit down and look at the city and look at the Mississippi River that it's 
sitting next to. It's it's really beautiful. The sky is it's pretty cloudy, but it's broken up enough that you can see stars and things between it. So I guess it was a really weird experience, and it's unexplainable, which is kind of frustrating to say and admit. I'm a very logic-driven person, so so this experience kind of frustrated me on a personal level. But we were sitting there looking at the sky, and suddenly, you know that prototype black, right? It absorbs every piece of light there is. We see this boomerang shape just pierce through the sky. It was very low. There was no noise to it. It just hovered in this way that kind of defied my understanding of the law of physics. It was kind of just breaking through, no resistance, no noise, nothing. On it were these lights. They were kind of like that galaxy blue, but there were several of them. And they were just all over this weird machine-looking boomerang, UFO, whatever you want to call it. And it disappeared very quickly, again, without noise. I couldn't hear anything. Not even 30 seconds later, like, we're both very just, our eyes are glued on the sky. We see this triangular shape. About 10,000 feet up, I would say. It was like almost the same thing, but it had its high beams on, and it was flying in a circle with the top of it kind of pointed inward. And then it disappeared again, and then suddenly we see it pop down again within seconds and come through in the same sequence, like flying sequence, and just defying gravity. And, and it was super weird. I've never seen anything like it. I look forward to sharing more stories like this, but I wanted to just shout out to those who've seen this. And yeah, pretty scary, pretty weird. Thank you. Thank you, Kaylee. Ironically enough, I thought I saw a UFO just this morning. I was outside 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. And as I'm staring at the sky, I see this brilliant white ball of light shoot across the sky at a pretty rapid rate. Not fast enough to be a comet, and way too fast to be a plane. That's when I noticed another, then another, then another, then another. And then it dawned on me that I'm staring at Elon Musk's Starlink satellite program. It's essentially a chain of small satellites in a lower orbit that is said to bring internet to the world. If you haven't seen one yet, don't worry. They're launching more and more of these things. So eventually the sky will be cluttered with them. You won't be able to miss them. But hopefully that's not what you saw, Kaylee. And based on your story, I'm going to say it wasn't. A big thanks for taking the time to call in this evening. We can't wait to hear more. Now, folks, this next call comes to us from parts unknown. It doesn't say where it's from. But it does say that it's from a gentleman named Brandon. Welcome to the show. Hey, Derek, it's Brandon. I want to tell you a story from about 12 years ago when I lived in Tampa, Florida. I moved into an old house. My friends owned it, and they were transitioning from Florida to New Mexico And the house wasn't quite ready to sell, so they let me stay there because I was coming back into town after living in New York for a while and I needed a place to live. Anyway, this house was in an area called Tampa Heights, which is close to Ybor City, which most people that are interested in ghosts or paranormal activity might know Ybor City. It's got a rich history, an old part of Tampa with a lot of ghost stories. Anyway, I never personally saw anything in the house, but... A lot of my friends experienced things, and let me go down the list. One example is, in the middle of the night, 3 a.m. one night, we heard a loud crash. It was my girlfriend and I in the bedroom. We got up, we go to the kitchen, we turn on the lights. Every pot and pan is scattered all over the floor. And these pots and pans weren't on a shelf or in any way where they could have fallen. They were all hanging from hooks. So that was kind of strange. There was probably a dozen or so heavy pots and pans thrown all over the floor. Another incident that happened is we had a friend whose mother was psychic and she did a lot of palm readings and things like that. And he was learning that ability himself. We had a get together one night at the house and he came to the front door and he couldn't walk through the front door. He said he was physically being held back by something. And we were like, well, you're crazy. I actually at one point grabbed his arm and tried to pull him into the house and it felt like somebody 
was it did feel like somebody was holding him back. He wasn't a big guy, and he should have easily been pulled in. But he was scared. He he ended up leaving, and that was kind of crazy. Another story that happened was there was a room in the house that even in the summer in Florida, which you know is very hot, 95, humid, really, really hot. There was one room, a back bedroom that we didn't really use that was always freezing cold. And it had nothing to do with the AC because there was a lot of times we had the AC off and we were just airing the house out because we were doing painting and repairs around the house for the friends of mine that owned it. I mean, this room, we'd have the windows open in the summer and you'd walk back there and you're like really chilly in this one room. And my girlfriend, there was a spare shower back there. Sometimes she would shower in that back room after she did yard work or something like that. And she said she always felt like somebody was watching her. So that was also pretty creepy. Another thing is I used to come home and put my keys in a bowl right near the front door so I knew where they were every time. This was like an automatic routine. I would walk in the front door, drop my keys in this bowl. So I did that and the next morning I woke up and I was like, where are my keys? And I woke my girlfriend up and I said, I can't find my keys. Did you move my car? She said, no, we looked everywhere for the keys. And we tore everything apart, the couch, we took all the cushions, we, we looked everywhere, all my clothes, everything. And I mean, we spent probably 35 minutes looking for the keys, which I really needed to get to work. And then all of a sudden she comes into the living room and she says, hey, your keys are right here. And they were right on a living room table, right in the middle of the table in plain sight. And we had walked by that table like a hundred times looking for the keys. So that was weird because the keys disappeared and then they suddenly appeared in, you know, the most obvious place. The last thing that was the creepiest for me was I was dog sitting two dogs, a Labrador and a little brindle pit bull mix. And it was at night, I was sitting on the couch and I had one dog on either side of me and they were sleeping and I was watching something on TV. And all of a sudden they both sat up really quickly and looked in the same position in the room and their eyes started following something as if like a person was walking across the room. I didn't see anything, but the dogs were really focused and the pit bull was actually shaking a little bit. And I was like, whoa, what's going on? I thought maybe are they seeing an insect or a moth flying around or something? So I got up and I turned on all the lights and I didn't see anything that they could have been looking at. But their reaction was like, it was like they were literally woken up by somebody and were looking around the room like somebody was walking directly in front of them. And they sat there and stared for probably a few minutes as as a dog would if it saw a person walking or something. I checked the room very well and I didn't see any kind of insect or anything they could have been looking at. And yeah, those are my stories about the haunted house I lived in. Oh, <laughs> I talked to the owners of the house about this and they chuckled a little bit and they said that somebody had actually passed away in the house. There was a fire in the kitchen and the kitchen had been rebuilt and they thought the spirit was that of a little girl because a lot of mischievous things had happened. I told them the story about the keys missing and they said, oh yeah, that, that sort of thing happens all the time where things would turn up missing. The, the guy who lived in the house had a toy collection, a vintage toy collection, and a lot of the times the toys would be moved around. And he was really particular about the toys because some of them were very expensive collector's items and he didn't want anybody touching them. So he knew that nobody, none of his friends or his wife was touching the toys, but they would be moved around on the shelves or sometimes even off the shelf. So they just figured it was the ghost of a mischievous child. I never got any details about who died in the house, but I do know that the house was built in 1912. So it was pretty old for that area. And yeah, that's my story. I really appreciate the podcast. I love it. I listen to it every day on the commute to work on the subway and keep up the good work. I hope you can use my story. Well, Brandon, I certainly can. Thanks for calling in. A lot of moving items in that story. The keys, the pans, all sorts of stuff floating around. And I've heard that detail many, many times before. A missing item, like a set of keys or something, that come up while missing, only to reappear in a very suspicious, very obvious location later on. Almost as if something that's unseen is playing some sort of prank. 
some sort of joke. Well, I'd like to say that sort of behavior is typical in these sort of events, but I can't help but think it's difficult to claim that anything is typical in the world of the supernatural. So I'll just say thank you, Brandon, for calling in. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When you stop and think about it, how much time do you spend on yourself versus other people in a given week? Sometimes we get caught up in other people's needs, and we don't save time for ourselves. Now, I'm guilty of getting caught up in work or projects and leaving little time for myself sometimes. And as a result, burnout sets in. But I found that therapy is a great way to ensure that I make time for myself, to express and reflect on my thoughts and emotions. Because let's face it, if we don't care for our mental health, we can't properly care for the people around us. So remember to prioritize yourself first. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's convenient, flexible, and affordable. And if for some reason you aren't vibing with the therapist you're matched with, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find more balance with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash monsters among us today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H E L P.com forward slash monsters among us. Now, as always, supporting our sponsor supports the show. So thank you for listening. Now back to those sounds in the attic. Now, this next entry comes to us again from parts unknown. This time, Let's welcome Chris to the show. Hey, Derek. This is Chris from Riverside, California. So I lived out here in Riverside, California. I was about seven years old. And I lived with my mom and my grandmother, my older brother. This house, I don't know what it was about it, but it used to really give me the creep. It felt like perhaps something had been there for a while. And my mother used to tell me that she didn't like to go into that house by herself, but she never told me why. One night, I was asleep on the couch, which is where I like to sleep because the light from the kitchen came on and I see better. I was obviously very much afraid of the dark. That night, I had decided to get up and go into my mom's room. And I had slept at the foot of the bed on the floor. Fell asleep there, and I'd say about 3 o'clock in the morning, I had woken up and this is, of course, going to sound very stereotypical, I think, of these sort of instances, but I felt a feeling of dread, something very unnerving, scary, and I didn't know what it was. So the foot of the bed was no longer going to fight, so I decided to go and lay next to my mom. And on her dresser, she had a lamp that was a touch lamp that you could adjust the light by simply touching your plant face. Well, it was at its lowest point at this time. So if you look out the doorway in the hallway, the light would bright enough to hit the other side of the hallway. Well, feeling unnerved and unsure what was going on, I had looked around and sure enough, I looked into the doorway and I saw something standing there. It was very tall, very dark. And I know a lot of people like to look at the hat, but I didn't see a hat. It only make out the head, shoulders, and part of the torso. And this thing was so tall that it must have been towering over the doorway, at least by six inches or so. Being absolutely scared to death, I buried my face into the pillow, just terrified of what it was that was there. After about 34 to 5 minutes, I finally gathered up the courage to look back outside the door. Of course, it was not there anymore. I woke up the next day to tell everybody about it, and of course, uh, nobody would believe anything I had to say about it, so whatever. I, I just kind of brushed it off after a couple of days. Some 20 years later, I'm, I'm married, and I have my own place. And my wife tells me one morning that she saw something in the doorway, and she described it as a very dark, shadowy figure peeking in through the door, looking at us. And she said that when she had noticed it, it had noticed her and decided to back away. I had no idea of what a shadow person or shadow man was at the time, so I got onto the internet. I looked around. I found out there was actually... Uh, books and things like that that people had written and I was fascinated that so many people had felt what I had felt and seen what I had seen that I was finally convinced that what I had seen as a child was very much real. Since then it hasn't come back, hasn't bothered us or anything like that. I guess we're just one time deal and I'm hoping that it stays that way. 
But I hope you can use this. I hope this helpful you in some way, shape, or form. Love your podcast. Thank you for giving the chance to tell my story. As I said before, I don't think anybody would have believed it. So thanks again. Thanks, Chris. Now, I opted not to put music under Chris's entry here. The quality in the call is not the greatest, so it sort of helps you make certain parts out. Regardless of that, more shadow figures. And speaking of stories that I've heard before, I've definitely heard stories like Chris's where he sees something that he can describe. A tall, dark figure. But he's not aware that hundreds or thousands of other people are seeing the exact same thing. And he only finds out later on, to his astonishment and probably horror. Well, keep those shadow entity stories coming, folks. Even if we don't get to the bottom of it, they're a lot of fun to listen to. Now, this next entry originates from where Chris's story took place, the state of California. Please, join me in welcoming Cameron to the show. Hey, my name is Cameron. I have, I don't know, at least a hundred stories to tell. This happens to be probably the most prominent, but apparently I didn't know this was a thing. I'm not one to believe in evil or demons until I had encountered it. I was living in Eureka, California in a trailer park, (laughs) of all things, and I was outside smoking a cigarette, and I'm a chain smoker, so for me to put out a cigarette is a huge thing. I went outside, I took a couple of puffs, I started feeling uneasy, and I happened to notice in the right corner of my local trailer property where there were some bushes, it really felt like something was staring at me and looking at me with intent and I've I've never felt this uneasy ever. I have so many paranormal experiences but this was the only time I felt like my life was in danger. So feeling very uneasy and feeling a sense of dread. I put my smoke out halfway through and I backed myself into my doorway. I felt so uncomfortable that I had to back myself into the doorway. I reached behind me, unturned the knob, and closed the door in front of my face. And I sat on my futon in the living room and covered myself with blankets because what else do you do when you're scared of ghosties? You cover yourself with blankets. So I'm sitting there and I'm watching the TV and I'm talking to myself and I'm saying to myself all these positive affirmations like, no, you're tripping. There was nothing out there. You just spooked yourself. It's no big deal. And then I start hearing a boom, boom, boom on my front door. I probably should have caveated this earlier, but every place I move into, because I'm so prone to these experiences, I bless them. And I have a lot of talisman of all sorts of countries or religions or whatever surrounding my house to try to ward off whatever there may be. So I hear the boom, boom, boom on the front door. Somebody is pounding at the front door and I'm scared. I'm so scared. I don't have like an eyelet to look through, nothing. So I just sit on my futon. But the boom, boom, boom from the front door starts traveling to the inner wall. And it continues, boom, 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 halfway through my inner wall until it reaches about halfway. And at the last thud, I mean, it sounds like somebody is pounding on the walls, like continuously. You cannot pound from the front door through to the inner wall, but that's exactly what it is, is somebody with their fist pounding, pounding, pounding on my walls. And it finally gets to the inner wall. And at the, like, fourth pound, the fourth boom, there is a flash of light, and that was it. I've never, ever once again felt that sense of dread in my life. Like I said, I have a million other stories to tell you. I'll probably call back to tell you them as well. But that was the only time I've ever felt in fear for my life. And I am ever so grateful I blessed that place. That place was haunted. I have images 
If you request them, I can definitely try to dig them out of my archives and give them to you. But of the ore, whether they're floating or moving, it's ridiculous. But that I don't know if it's that land or that trailer. Something in that area definitely is haunted, for sure. Thank you for your work. Bye. Thanks, camera. Now listen, I'm not the type to jump to conclusions. At least I don't think so. But that's exactly what I'm going to do here with Cameron's entry. Now I can't shake the fact that she looked towards some bushes and swore that someone, something, was looking straight at her. But she was unable to make out anything that was there. And then the sense of dread or fear. Then the pounding. And then the flash of light. Could this possibly be a Glimmerman experience? Did she not see the entity because it blended into the foliage? Was the pounding because the entity thought that she did see it? And the flash of light? I swear we've heard that detail before with other Glimmerman experiences. Now, of course, this is wild conjecture, so please don't hang any hats on this opinion. But if you do have photographs, camera, of course, please send those in. Monsters Among Us Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for the call. Now, if you're anything like us, your summer calendar is already filling up. I know ours is, with plenty of camping trips and lake time and visitors to our cabin. Now, thankfully, whether we're expecting family for the week or heading out for a spontaneous barbecue, we always have great wine on hand to share, thanks to tonight's sponsor, First Leaf. First Leaf is America's most personalized wine company that takes the guesswork out of wine selection. Now, don't worry, you don't need to be a wine expert to appreciate First Leaf, because they make things so easy. Just answer a few questions about your likes and dislikes, and their experts curate a selection of award-winning wine just for you. Now, the wine selections they chose for Sarah and I have been awesome. And as people who generally choose wine by the design on the label, we would never have known to try these wines otherwise. Now, you're in control of how often you receive new wine. And every selection is backed by First Leaf's 100% satisfaction guarantee. So you have nothing to lose. Now, I love reconnecting with friends and family over bottles of First Leaf wine, and I bet you'll feel the same way. So get First Leaf a try. Head over to tryfirstleaf.com forward slash M-A-U to sign up to save 50% off your first six hand-curated bottles, plus free shipping. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com forward slash M-A-U to save 50% on your first six bottles plus free shipping. Try firstleaf.com forward slash M-A-U. Now, as always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thanks for listening. Back to the spooky stuff. Now, judging from the title of this next entry, I imagine it's going to be quite a strange one. Sean from Pennsylvania. Go on ahead with your story. Hey, Derek. My name is Sean. I'm calling from kind of the very tip of northwestern Pennsylvania. This story, though, takes place in Jamestown, New York. I've been kind of hesitating to call it in, but after hearing Matt Shane's story on Hometown Legends, it kind of persuaded me to call it in. It takes place about 10 miles from where Matt's story takes place. So this was the summer of 2006. It had to be somewhere between June 10th and June 20th, based on the timeline that I know. And what happened was this guy had escaped from prison. His name was Ralph Butch Phillips. And he was on the run from, I think it was April to September. But by June, nobody still really knew about the guy. I had kind of read some blurb that some local guy had escaped from prison and had shot a cop somewhere in upstate New York, and the cop was recovering in the hospital. But that night, I was driving home from my girlfriend's house, 
at the time, now she's my wife, and I was about a mile from her house. It was about one o'clock in the morning, kind of on the outskirts of Jamestown. And so I pulled to a four-way stop, and there's a giant cemetery on the one corner, and the cemetery is on the outskirts of town, and it kind of sits just off the interstate, and it's on the corner of kind of the interstate and a road that goes north into the county where Bucky Phillips was from. And so I pulled to this four-way stop, and in front of me on my right at about 2 o'clock is the entrance to the cemetery. And at the entrance of the cemetery, there's a guy, and he's standing back at the gate, and it's probably, the gates are probably a good 30 feet off the road. And he's kind of standing next to some bushes and the gates, and he's kind of leaning awkwardly against the gate. But I can tell that he doesn't want to be seen at all. And, and I, I know that he sees me, and I'm looking at him, but he's not acknowledging that I'm there. He's not moving. He had kind of a mid-length beard, kind of long hair, but his eyes were like hollow eyes. They were like almost black. I was about 19 years old, so I, I was probably a little more easily spooked than I am now, but I was just really freaked out. So I, I kind of speed through the stop sign, and I'm watching this guy the whole time, and he never moved. He never kind of acknowledged that I was there. So anyways, I, I drive home and I'm, I'm still freaked out and I go in the house and I wake my parents up and I'm kind of telling them what's happened. And I, I said, you know, I just read this story about this guy that's kind of local that shot a cop somewhere in upstate New York. And let's just Google it and see. The shooting had happened about a week before my sighting. So we Google it and this Ralph Phillips, Bucky Phillips, he had the same kind of hollow eyes, the same kind of beard. And, and to this day, I'm still probably 90% sure that it was him. Part of me has always wondered, is, was it him? Was it a ghost? Because I've never seen a ghost. I've always been kind of a skeptic, but I've never seen anything. I always say if I see something, maybe that'll change my mind. But anyways, I called the cops. My parents convinced me to call the cops. My mistake was that I called the local police department instead of the state troopers who were looking for this guy. And the local cops kind of blew me off. I could tell that, you know, they could tell I was a young kid and, and they thought I was kind of making things up. So I don't know if they even went to search for the guy. The sad thing is that a couple weeks or a month or so later, this guy kind of ambushed another set of two cops and shot them with a high-powered rifle and killed one of them and injured another one really badly before he was finally caught in September. He had been placed on the FBI's 10 most wanted list and then was caught the next day. But part of me still kind of always wonders if I had called the state police, if, you know, maybe they would have taken me more seriously. And actually, in hindsight, I didn't know the area that well, but in hindsight, there was a trooper's barracks about two miles from my sighting. And, and I just have always wondered maybe a better place phone call or law enforcement taking me more seriously might have resulted in less injuries and potentially, you know, less death for law enforcement. But it's something that I'll probably always wonder for the rest of my life. Anyways, I appreciate your podcast. I really enjoy it. I've been binging it for the last few months. Thanks for what you do. Bye. Thank you, Sean. How unfortunate that you weren't taken seriously. Now, thanks to Delaney, who sent over the following news story. We're about to find out just exactly how close Sean might have came. It's scary to know that people out there are shooting police officers. Phillips evaded police for months, traveling as far as Tennessee. The one consistent thing with him that we always knew, he was coming back to Chicago County. That was his comfort zone. That was what he knew. That was home. Major Rick Allen was a lieutenant at the time. You're coming out of that woods back to back. You know, one guy w walking forward, one guy watching backwards. Because you don't, you don't know where he is. We, we never knew exactly where he was. Phillips, a Chautauqua County native, acquired folk hero status with a burger named after him and a community that wasn't always interested in helping police. I wouldn't turn him in. I mean, if they catch him, fine. But uh, and then I think the, the sooner the better. But uh, I'd never turn him in. That attitude would change after Phillips ambushed two state troopers in Pomfret on August 31st. Trooper Joseph Longobardo would die from his injuries three days later. I want him to keep looking over his shoulder more than ever now 
to see if we're right there behind him. Police from across the state joined the manhunt, including Rochester's SWAT team. On September 7th, Phillips was added to the FBI's most wanted list. The next day, a major break and a bit of luck as police close in on a wooded area near the Pennsylvania-New York border. It just happened that one of our, our dog handlers checked the creek bed, which was outside of our perimeter. And there he was. A fatigued Bucky Phillips would surrender peacefully. A bittersweet moment for police. We lost a trooper in this manhunt. You know, we had two other troopers shot. You know, so it was, it was some tough times out there. Phillips was greeted by jeers at a holding center. Right in jail! That's right! As his run from the law came to an end. The way he worked, the way he did things, he was a coward, in my opinion. Phillips pled guilty to shooting all three state troopers. He was sentenced to life in prison and is currently in the Clinton Correctional Facility in Dannemora. Now that clip comes courtesy of WHAM, ABC News 13, out of Rochester, New York. Now hopefully you noticed where he was finally apprehended. Sean saw his mystery man in the woods along the Pennsylvania-New York border. And that's exactly where Phillips was captured. So, yeah. It's too bad the local boys didn't do their job. I imagine that's a frustrating thing to live with, Sean. But it's yet another reminder that not all monsters have claws and are covered in hair. Thanks again, Sean. And that's going to bring us to tonight's final entry. Now this time we venture to the Hawkeye State where we hear from Angie in the state of Iowa. Hi, Derek. I've been a long-time listener. My name is Angie, and I'm originally from southern Iowa, and I have some stories about doppelgangers. When I was about 15, I started to experience some strange energy. Doors would slam in my grandma's house, lots of banging, things would fall off the wall in rooms that I was in. And later, growing up, I realized that some of this must have been some type of paranormal-type energy around me, kind of like a poltergeist activity. But while I was living with my grandma, this was like in the late 80s, she was very, very skeptic. She didn't believe in ghosts or anything like that. But one time, I left the house with my mom. We drove to town. We lived out in the country on a farm. And when I came back, she said to me, what did you come back for? And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well... I saw you come in through the front door. You slammed the screen door. That's what caught my attention. And I saw you run upstairs. And I said, why? I was never there. I never came back. And you could just really tell that that bothered her. Three years later, I was 18 at this time, still experiencing some of that activity in the new house that I was living in. Banging. Windows would be open when they weren't supposed to be open. Things would fall off the wall. I had left with one of my best friends to spend the night with her. My parents weren't home when I left. And the next day when I came home, my mom said it was the strangest thing. When we came home, I thought that you were still here because I could see your legs and your sandals sitting on the corner of my bed. And I used to do this because she had an old record player in there and I would listen to her old album. And she said, and when I got down the hallway, I realized you weren't there at all. The third incident that I have, I'm not so sure if it's doppelganger related or maybe just paranormal but it was 2010 and I'm certainly a grown-up now and my family my husband and my kids had gone on a camping trip and left me home I'm not a camper and at the time his father was very very ill with Alzheimer's he was declining really rapidly and I was shopping at a local retailer big box store and I walked in the building and I swear to God that I saw him walking in front of me. It was very distinct. He wore same cargo shorts every summer, old man's shoes, tall socks, white shirt. But the way that he would walk was with his hands clasped behind his back. And this, this gentleman was walking just like that, looked just like him from the back, everything. And I just was like, well, this is weird. I knew it wasn't him, of course. So I proceeded to walk around the store and get my things done. And I, I walk around rather quick. And this gentleman, he just kept popping up wherever I was, always just kind of ahead of me or off to the side or whatever. And so I never got a look at his face. 
Well, I was rounding about to go check out, and there he was again. And he was in the ladies' clothing section, standing with his chin resting on a rounder of clothes, just watching me. This time I, I felt eyes on me when I was at the cash register. I turned around, and I looked at this gentleman, and I swore to God it was my father-in-law. And he was just watching me. And later, after my husband got home, he cut his trip off early. His father had died that day. I thought that was just a creepy experience. Love the show. Hope you can use this. Thanks so much. Oh, Angie, that's pretty spooky. And there's a lot of doppelgangers in your life. I don't know much, but I do know that's unsettling. And thank you, Angie, for capping off this episode with a downright creepy entry. And thank you, dear listener, for tuning in this evening. It's been a damn pleasure to have you here. Now I'll catch you back here next Thursday with a brand new installment. But until then, Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Delaney Bowers. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And if you like what you hear, maybe follow us on social media. And while you're at it, like and subscribe over at YouTube. We could really use the views over there. Oh, also, don't forget to rate and review the show, wherever that sort of thing is possible. I feel like those rates and reviews aren't coming in quite as often as they used to. So if you haven't done so, I'd appreciate it. Now finally, tonight's score was provided by Iron Cthulhu Apocalypse, Co.AG Music, and Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. Thank you all so much for listening. Everyone, take care of yourselves. And above all else, keep it spooky. Have a good night. for tonight's secret entry. This one isn't necessarily part of the grab bag, as I purposely searched this one out. The following was sent to us from the state of Tennessee. Charles, welcome to the show. Hey, uh, my name is Charles James. I'm from Memphis, Tennessee, and this happened in 2009 in Eads, Tennessee, or Hickory Wick, small town outside of Memphis. I saw an ABC or an alien big cat. I was driving, I had a 99 Camaro at the time, so it sits a little lower. I was driving down a cherry road out in Hickory Wick, Tennessee, or Eads, however you want to say it. Cruised down, I thought I saw a big black dog, I thought, and I pull over and I'm like, hey, big guy, should I see a call or anything? I don't get out of my car, I just roll the window down. And when it stops, it doesn't dart off, it doesn't leave or anything, it just stares at me. It turns its head and looks at me. That's when I noticed it was a big black panther. It had the diamond-shaped ears, or the ears that kind of poked out the head, that that, uh, upside-down triangle head almost, with gold. The eyes were reflecting gold from my light, I guess, off the vehicle that I was in. And I saw the upside-down candy cane tail. I freaked out. Florida got out of there as soon as possible. I know this is going to be short and sweet because I was on my way to my buddy's house and I told him, I said, don't go. We were having a bonfire and I said, don't go back inside. Everyone's trying to have you. I'm freaking out. And everyone's like, what's wrong with you? And I told them and they didn't believe me, but I was freaking out. And that's my alien big cat story or ABC. Thanks, man. Bye. Thank you, Charles. Now I pulled this call because just last week, there was seemingly an advancement in the search for these infamous alien big cats. 
The following information was pulled from the website, londonworld.com. DNA from a black hair caught on a barbed wire fence following a sheep attack in the UK has offered definitive proof big cats are prowling the British countryside, say documentary filmmakers. The strands were sent off for testing after being recovered on a farm in Gloucestershire, where there had been some unusual predatory activity. Suspicion was raised when video footage of a large black animal was also captured only a few miles away from where the sample was taken. And documentary filmmakers, who have been investigating sightings across the UK, say the test has now come back positive, confirming the existence of black panthers and other big cats living in the UK. A forensic laboratory took on the species identification task and used mitochondrial DNA analysis to ascertain a 99% match to a big cat species. The findings have come to light as part of filming for an upcoming documentary, Pantera Britannia Declassified, which investigates claims of big cat sightings in Britain. Now, I'm not real sure what to make of this. Uh, First of all, it's for a film, so automatically questionable. Second of all, it doesn't really discern what sort of big cat they got DNA from. Certainly, they can tell the difference. But... I happen to know for a fact that something's out there. As you know, I've seen it. So a huge thanks to you, Charles, for allowing us to quickly brush up on this little subject. And I'll be sure to keep you guys abreast of all the new news. And that, ladies and gentlemen, brings us to tonight's Beyond episode. Now, if you'd like to join us for this exclusive bonus content... Simply visit patreon.com and search for Monsters Among Us. Or you can hit up our website at monstersamonguspodcast.com and click the Patreon tab. $1 a month gets you access to ad-free content. $5 a month gives you access to not only the rest of this episode, but some 85 hours of additional content. So again, visit us at Patreon. We sure do appreciate the support. Now, just like the main show, tonight's bonus material is going to be a little bit different. Because tonight, I have a guest. You may know her as the better half of Monsters Among Us, and the better half of our relationship. Please welcome my wife, Sarah. Hello, thank you for having me. Hi, Sarah, welcome back to the show. Thank you, and thank you to everyone who wrote in saying that they wanted me back on. That was very nice. Yeah, we had a lot of people write in and request that Sarah come back, so here we are. Are you ready to hear some stories? Yes, bring it on. Well then, in that case, let's bring on our first caller. All the way from the state of Massachusetts, please welcome repeat offender, David. Hello, Derek and friends. My name is David, and I'd like to share a strange coincidence I had back in March of 1987, just west of Boston, Massachusetts. I was on my lunch break from work, and I just stopped by my house to pick up my mail. So there I was, 